Church. Our Wednesday night Bible studies are when we take a book of the Bible and we go through it one verse at a time to give everybody a, a clear understanding of what the scriptures are all about. Those of you at our campuses and used to seeing us by video, this is nothing new to you. Those of you who come to the Bayside campus, when you just see me on video, it's a little, a little strange to you because you're not used to that. But uh, the reason I'm doing that by video right now is because I am, as we speak, suffering for the Lord on the beautiful island of Bermuda. And uh, hopefully having a great time. I uh, can't imagine not having a great time down there. We are with Focus on the Family. James Dobson and the crew asked me to come down and, and help them with their uh, marriage couples uh, retreat that they're doing with the Focus family. And uh, we consider that quite an honor. But anyway, that's why I'm on video for you guys. Again, for you on the campuses. It's all video to you. But anyway, uh, we are picking it up now. Uh, we, are in jo- we are in the book of Genesis. And we are looking at chapter 41. Genesis means, uh, this is about the beginnings. How did everything start? And uh, everything from creation all the way. And and really a lot of ground has been covered here uh, in terms of the beginnings of mankind. Pretty broad chunks of, of history here. Not a lot of detail. Just kind of the basic idea of that's what happened here and that's what happened here and then there was this and then there was a flood and there was, you know, and again, not, not tons of detail about the only thing that really uh, gets uh, really detailed. We start hitting Abraham because the whole purpose of Genesis is to set up where the Jewish nation came from. The 12 tribes of Israel whom out of came the Messiah, Jesus Christ, of whom the gospel is now preached all over the world for the forgiveness of sins to everyone, including us here tonight. Um, And the whole idea is, where did all this come from? How did this happen? Who are we? Where was our beginnings? And that's what Genesis is all about. By the time we get to Abraham, then we start getting real specific because the, the fundamental bottom line for Genesis is to bring them to the book of Exodus. This is where Moses shows up. And, you know, he says, you know, to Pharaoh, let my people go. And they come out of Egypt as slaves and they start uh, their own nation. And uh, so the whole point is, how did we end up in Egypt in the first place? How did we end up as slaves in the first place? Where did all this come from? Who are the, you say, 12 tribes of Israel? Who was Israel? All that stuff is what we've been reading about in Genesis. So we have Abraham, uh, then his son Isaac, And then his son Jacob, these are the patriarchs of the faith, the Jewish faith, and of course, uh, consequently uh, of the Christian faith, because it all came out of that. Um, Jacob, uh, the third patriarch, he's the one who has these 12 boys. These become the 12 tribes of Israel, because God changed Jacob's name from Jacob to Israel. And we will see him referred to interchangeably now uh, between Jacob and, and Israel. Uh, one of uh, Jacob's uh, youngest sons, I think second to the youngest son, if I had it correct, I'm not quite sure, but pretty close, is, uh, was, was Joseph. Then there was one more, uh, I think Benjamin, if, if I'm not messing up here, that uh, was the final son. But uh, Joseph was uh, uh, Jacob, whose name Israel, was like his favorite son of the twelve. And the reason the Bible now focuses really heavy on Joseph, it's because of Joseph they all end up in Egypt. 
That's the point of all this. Now, it's a powerful story, and we've been having just a fabulous time with it. We just, last Wednesday, uh, uh, message uh, on the story was, was absolutely fabulous. I even preached about part of it on Sunday morning just to, uh, because I was so touched and inspired by how God can turn your circumstances around in a day. And we talked about that. So we're going to pick it up now as we follow the life of Joseph. Yeah, Joseph, remember, was hated by his brothers. Um, as you read the story, it's, it's kind of like he egged some of this on because being dad's favorite and the guy with a fancy coat and telling them, boy, I got these great dreams. Someday you guys are going to bow before me. Not a great way to uh, win friends and influence people, especially from your brothers. Brothers tend to not like each other in the first place. There's always that static and competition between them. And Joseph really clearly went over the line to the point they wanted to kill him. I mean, when people want to kill you, you know, you probably are being a little obnoxious. So uh, uh, that, that's what, what happened with Joseph. So anyway, we are with uh, the 41st chapter. Joseph now uh, had just interpreted Pharaoh's dreams. He, he started out in the morning in the dungeon. By the end of the day, he was the second most powerful man in the world. Talk about a dramatic turnaround in this guy's life. And we're going to pick it up now. Chapter 41, starting at verse 41. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took a signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen, put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as the second in command. Uh, the men shouted before him, make way, make way, these human sirens. Uh, thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word no one will lift a hand or foot in all Egypt. So Pharaoh gave to Joseph the name Zephaneth Paneah, gave him uh, Aseneth, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, to be his wife. Uh, and Joseph went throughout the land. So we see Joseph gets the money, he gets the power, he gets the girl, he gets the bling. I mean, it's all, gets the cool chariot. Uh, he all of a sudden is on top of the world. Now, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. He was 17 when he first started getting in the face of his brothers. So 13 years pretty much of hell for Joseph. And surely when most of us would have given up and given up hope, given up faith uh, because of the sufferings, uh, Joseph stayed true to God and, and kept his hope alive, which is just amazing. Uh, but God finally lifted him up. It says, And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. Well, during the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored them in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain, like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. I mean, it was a huge. When, when God had given Pharaoh this dream, the seven fat cows or the seven healthy grains of, of wheat, it was a prophecy that there would be seven incredible years of prosperity. And indeed there was. And Joseph warned Pharaoh, said, you need to prepare for the seven hard years that are going to follow. So they're storing up all this food. Well, before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by uh, Aseneth, daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. Uh, Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my troubles and all my father's household. Now, now check this out. What a great, great word here. Um, by the way, I think the word Manasseh is uh, derived from the Hebrew word that means to forget. 
And so he calls the first son Manasseh, forget, because God has made me forget all my trouble. See, that's what happens when God turns your life around. When the prayer comes through, when the answers come through, your life will be so blessed that you'll actually have to work at to remember the hell that you went through. And I know that's been true in our lives. Deb and I at times in life suffered greatly. I mean, seriously. I mean, we were so poor, we had to look up to see how the poor people were living. It was rough. It was hard. It was uh, at times incredibly discouraging. We uh, many times qualified for food stamps and welfare and all this uh, uh, government uh, assistance programs. Um, we never took advantage of them, and it's not a slam to people who do, but I just, we didn't, I just, I just couldn't go there. I thought, man, we, you know, we've got to make this work. I know we can make this work. We'll trust God. And I don't really have time to tell you of all the incredible answers of prayer in our lives, how, in our most desperate moments, you know, we weren't crying and freaking, we were trusting God, and God would just remarkably, in miraculous ways, make a way for us where there was no way. So we have lived this. I'm not talking about not go, not uh, something I haven't experienced. We have experienced, at times, just really brutal, hard years in our lives that I wouldn't wish on anybody. I don't really have any enemies, uh, at least not from my side. There's <laughs> some people who don't like me, but it's a one-sided argument. I don't have any enemies. I don't hate anybody. I'm not against or fighting with anybody. I refuse to enter into uh, the battle on those things. But I'll tell you what we went through, I wouldn't want to wish. If I had enemies, I wouldn't want to wish on my enemies uh, what we went through. And in those times. And this is after years of serving God and serving God on the mission field and being in ministry and, and, and still then going through just extremely difficult times. But this is where we learn. This is where we learn how to be joyful in the midst of tribulation. How to be thankful when there was nothing to be thankful for, it seemed like. How to bless God when we felt like we were just being cursed by the world around us. Uh, this is what built character in us and helped us to grow and God could start blessing and turning our lives around and and uh, and now at this stage in life, allowing us to be able to encourage others in their faith. So when I talk about going through hard times, trust me when I tell you, this this is firsthand experience. And uh, and I know what it's like now to for God to so bless us that you literally have to stop and remember. Oh yeah, oh wow, yeah we we did. Every once in a while, Deb and I will say that to each other. Oh man, you remember when we used to do that or we went through that hard thing? I mean, this is what Joseph's talking about. God has so blessed him, he's made him forget the trouble he went through. Probably the best analogy you could use is a woman who is in childbirth. And the pains and the misery of that, you would think she would never do it again. uh, Because it's so painful for her. Uh, Certainly... If it were up to men, there wouldn't be many people on the earth because none of us would want to go through it. But women go through it. And Jesus says uh, the joy of holding that baby in her arms helps her to forget her pain. Well, that's kind of what God does in our lives. Even though we might be going through the childbirthing pains of trying to birth whatever miracle it is in our life or turn around in our circumstances, that God will, when the answer comes and we hold that answer, we're so blessed that we literally forget. We have to actually turn and remember those hard times. And that's what God has done for Joseph at this point. I mean, after 13 years of hell, you know, now, you know, it's like it's as if God has, has made him forget everything that he went through. So, uh, the sec- so that was Manasseh. Then the second son, 
he had uh, was named Ephraim, which means like twice blessed or, or double fruitful. Uh, and he said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. So uh, notice, suffering. He knew he suffered, but God has blessed him in his land where he suffered and made him forget his pain. So uh, ver- the next verse, uh, the seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end. And then the seven years of famine began, just as, just as Joseph had said. There was famine in all other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt, there was food. Why? Because they prepared. They had prepared. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. And then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians. For the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the countries came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the world. You can imagine, by the way, the incredible wealth that was accumulated by Egypt during these seven hard years. They had been wise. God had spoken to them. They saved up all this food. And now the world is coming to Egypt to buy food so they could survive. And the amount of money they must have taken in during those seven years had to be quite stunning. Uh, Egypt became very, very wealthy. It's already a wealthy place, but boy, they were, they were making out like bandits now. So now we're at verse, uh, we're in chapter 42. And uh, remember, the whole purpose of all of this is to find out how did the children of Israel end up in Egypt. So we know how Joseph ended up. Now let's find out how the brothers get there. So we're starting at chapter 42. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, this is Jacob, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose name became Israel, had the twelve sons, so this is Papa. When he learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? <laughs> kind of a slam to the rest of the boy. Why are y'all just sitting there staring at each other? Get something done. And he continued, I have heard that there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Just quit sitting around. Get up and get down there. So Papa's got to get on their butts and tell them to go down. So then the uh, ten of Joseph's brothers went down uh, to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, uh, Joseph's uh, brother. He was the youngest one. Um, And uh, he stayed because he was afraid harm might come to him. Remember, Jacob's favorite wife uh, had given birth to Joseph and to Benjamin. That's why he so favored, uh, you know, um, these two boys. So he sent the ten boys down, kept Benjamin with him, and for all he knew, he had been told by the brothers that Joseph had been killed by a wild animal. Obviously, they lied to the dad. So anyway, Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain, for the famine was in the land of Canaan also. Now Joseph was the governor of the land. No one who sold grain to all its... uh, The one who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. Ding, 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 ding. Here is the vision God had given him years earlier. Okay, so 13 at 7. This is 20 years now. 20 years later, I've I've spoke about this before, but oftentimes when God gives you a dream, God gives you a vision, God shows something, maybe a word of prophecy comes to you. I mean, however he does it. uh, 
boy, I know people who just run off half-cocked and just go after their dream right away, generally to fall absolutely flat on their faces and and, uh, embarrass themselves and really struggle painfully. Something you've got to remember, when God gives you a vision, a dream speaks to you, it's usually, at least it's been in my experience, certainly you see it in the Bible, it's usually years before the reality of that comes to place, to pass. Not always, but that's up to God. But what happens is we get the vision and dream and then we run out to make it happen. That's what happened to Moses. Moses got this thing about set my people free and he goes to make it happen and it's a disaster and he has to run for his life and he's on the backside of the desert for 40 years. Ho chi mama. 40 stinking long years he sat there. And it wasn't until he was an old man that God finally came and said, okay, now, now it's time to go do it. <sighs> Wish I had thought of that 40 years ago. I'm sure that's what Moses was thinking. Certainly with Joseph, God had given him this dream that his brothers would bow down for, before him. And, of course, they hated him and wanted to kill him and finally sold him off as a slave. 20 years later, here come the brothers. And they fall before Joseph and they bow down. Clearly, they do not recognize him. You can imagine the difference he looked uh, being... Uh, you know, in Canaan, 20 years earlier at 17, you know, now he's 37 years of age, and, uh, you know, certainly didn't look like as, as they had recognized him. So here comes the fulfillment of the dream. They bow down. Verse 7, as soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but pretended to be a stranger, and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. Uh, from the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. And although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them. Then he remembered. See, this is what happens. And I'm telling you, this is what's happened in my life. Where God had spoke something to me. I thought it was going to happen as an early man, young man. I, I got discouraged. I gave up. Found another interest. Later in life, all of a sudden, God brings me to this new place. And all of a sudden, I go, oh my goodness. That's when that guy said such and such to me. Or that's, that's when God spoke this dream in, into my heart. When I first saw what uh, this, the kind of opportunity ministries that I would have today. That I'd given up on a long time ago. Because I'd forgotten. That's how often how far it gets away from uh, the, the, the dream to the reality. Again, not always, but oftentimes it's this way. You say, well, then why does God do that? Why does he tell you this stuff early on? Just to mess you up? No, we... Do the messing up. We're the ones who get all yeehaw and run out and force stuff uh, before it's ready to happen. Uh, before God, you know, we make our own way and uh, usually pay the price for it. Uh, so, but why does God do this? So that later in life, when you're when you're finally fulfilling this role, all of a sudden you remember the vision, you remember the dream, you remember the word that came to you years earlier and it becomes a huge encouragement to you because now you can go, yes, yes, I know I'm doing what God called me to do. This is that which he spoke about in my life earlier on. It might be a year for you, it might be six months again from you. Chances are it will be many, many years before you, all of a sudden you start realizing the vision. Again, don't get discouraged. I mean, some, some of your visions, you know, it's the, you have a picture of everybody, all your kids being saved, or everybody in your family serving the Lord, and you've been saved for 
25 years and it still hasn't happened and it's easy to get discouraged and give up hope. Don't give up hope. You, you don't know. Uh, if, if this is really from God, that will happen. It just You just got to be patient. You know, maybe you feel God's called you to preach the gospel or to be a missionary or something like that. And you think, well, how come this hasn't happened right away? Just chill. God, if God called you, it's his problem. All right? God just doesn't tell you to do stuff and then shuts all the doors so you can't do it. Okay, he's the one who has to empower you and make these things a reality. When you finally get to that place, you'll remember what was put in your heart early on. And it's a way of just confirming and encouraging you uh, later in life. So that's what happens to, to Jacob. All of a sudden, or not to Jacob, to Joseph. Boom, I remember those dreams. Those dreams. This is the dream I had. And he's experiencing it. Wow, talk about goosebumps running up and down your spine. That had to be pretty awesome. So he remembered the dreams about them. And then he kept playing it. And he said to them, you're spies. You've come down to see where our land is unprotected. No, my lord, they answered. Your servants came to buy food. We are all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men. We're not spies. No, he said to them. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, your servants were twelve brothers, the son of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father, talking about Benjamin, and one is no more. Really? Joseph said to them, of course he's talking about Joseph, standing right there, no more, because they convinced everybody that he had died and had not. Joseph said to them, it is just as I told you, you are spies, and this is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of your number to go get your brother. The rest of you will be kept in prison so that your words may be tested to see if you are telling the truth. If you are not, then surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. Then he put them all in custody for three days. So now they're freaking out. They go down there just to buy some grain. This guy goes psycho on them, starts accusing them of being spies. They can't begin to imagine, what in the world is going on? We're not spies. Why is he doing this? He throws them all in jail. He says, unless you bring that other brother here, uh, I'll just consider you spies. Of course, as we'll read further, that became problematic because they knew that Jacob wouldn't want to let go of Benjamin. So anyway, for three days, he leaves them in custody. On the third day, Joseph said to them, do this. And you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison, while the rest of you go and take grain back for your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me, so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. This they proceeded to do. And they said to one another, Surely we are being punished because of our brother. See, this, this is, they said, Man, this is the judgment of God. They all knew they were guilty. They sold off their brother, told dad that he was dead, just ripped the father's heart out. And they've been living this lie for now 20 years. And all of a sudden this bizarre thing is happening to them, this horrible punishment. And they say, oh man, God must be punishing us uh, for, for, for what we did. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life. But we would not listen. Talking about Joseph. Remember, Joseph, please, please don't kill us. Please don't do this to me. This is why distress has come upon us. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? Reuben was the one who tried to protect all this and keep this from happening. But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. So they're arguing with each other of why this is happening. Surely this is because we disobeyed God. And 
and, and brought this horrible situation on ourselves. They did not realize, of course, that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. So, so Joseph is getting a kick out of this. They're having this debate with each other. These guys come down um, uh, and uh, come and then Joseph, even though he understood that language, clearly it was his home language, uh, used an interpreter to talk to them. So he spoke in Egypt. So when these guys started to go back and forth with each other, they assumed Joseph couldn't understand them. Of course, Joseph stood there the whole time. He heard the whole conversation. And it says, he turned away from them and began to weep. He was so emotionally touched as he heard them struggling over the situation that he turned. He, he couldn't let them see them cry, see, see him cry. So he turns and he cries. But then he turns back and he spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. So this is the one brother that's going to stay. Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to put each man's silver back in his sack and to give them provisions for their journey. After all this was done for them, they loaded their grain on their donkeys and left. Okay, now check out what what he did. He gave, these guys come with all this money, the silver to buy the grain. Well, Joseph tells his guys, fill their sacks with grain, but put their silver back in the sacks. Okay, and these guys didn't know he had done that. And uh, so, um, at the place where they stopped for the night, as they're going back home, uh, one of them opened his sack to get some feed for his donkey. When he did, he saw his silver in the mouth of his sack. My silver has been returned, he says to his brothers. Here, it's in my sack. And their hearts sank as they turned to each other trembling and said, what is this that God has done to us? When they came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened. They said, the man who was Lord over the land spoke harshly to us and he treated us as though we were spying on the land. But we said, we are honest men, we're not spies. We were twelve brothers, sons of one father. One is no more and the youngest is now with our father in Canaan. Then the man who is Lord over the land said to us, this is how I will know whether you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me and take food for your starving households and go. Bring your youngest, but bring your youngest brother to me so I will know that you are not spies but honest men. Then I will give you your brother back to you and you can trade, in other words, buy whatever you need in the land. As they were emptying their sacks there in each man's sack was his pouch of silver. When they and their father saw the money pouches, they were frightened. Say, why were they frightened? Because they knew that they would be accused of uh, stealing the grain. They were afraid, man, we paid for this. Okay, here it is. So now they could say, where was our payment? You deceived us. You lied to us. They knew that they would be in big trouble. Well, they were all frightened. And their father Jacob said to them, you have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more and Simeon is no more. Because Simeon had had to stay in Egypt while you guys came back. And now you want to take Benjamin? Benjamin? Everything is against me. Then Reuben said to his father, You may put both of my sons to death if I do not bring him back to you. And trust him to my care and I will bring him back. Now that's really bizarre. Again, we are living... This is not 2008 here. This is a long... Thousands and thousands of years ago. Very different culture. And uh, Reuben, the oldest one, says, Look... Give us Benjamin. We'll take him back. If we do not repair, then you can kill two of my sons. Which, of course, these are now his grandsons. You know, I mean, I don't know what kind of deal that was. Okay, you don't bring him back. I'll kill, I'll kill my grandsons to punish you. Oh, very bizarre and strange. But anyway, Jacob said, no, 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 no. My son will not go down there with you. His brother is dead, and he's the only one left. Well, he's not the only one left. He's the only one left of 
the mom, who he loved dearly, uh, Rachel. And uh, remember Rachel and Leah. He loved Rachel, wasn't too crazy about Leah, although Leah had all the babies. Um, Rachel just had the two sons. So he says, the only one I have left, if harm comes to him on the journey you are taking, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in sorrow. He just couldn't imagine letting go of Benjamin. Chapter 43, now the famine was still severe in the land, so when they had eaten all the grain they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, go back and buy us a little more food. So Judah said to him, look, the man warned us solemnly, you will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. Now, it doesn't say how long this took, but they went and bought all this food, and it wasn't until they were back in the same position again, they were thinking about going back down. Now, was this months? Was this a year or, you know, or two? We don't know. I'm thinking of, you know, the poor guy stuck back in, in, uh, in, in Egypt. You know, they left that brother, say, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll come back for you. And uh, they haven't come back. <laughs> He's stuck in Egypt. He's probably freaking out. Where are those guys? But they never went back because dad was afraid that he'd lose Benjamin. Apparently, he didn't have such a problem losing, who was it, Simeon, whatever it was, um, the brother that was still stuck back down there. So, um, you know, you feel bad for that guy, so he's stuck. So it's not until all of a sudden they're in the same situation, they're starving again. And, uh, you know, so he reminds them, look, if you don't, if you don't send your brother back, we're going to be in big trouble. Uh, but if you will not send him, we will not go, verse 5, we will not go down because the man said to us, you will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. Then Israel... Jacob, see, they're, they're, they use the name interchangeably. In one minute they're calling him Jacob, now they're calling him Israel, same guy. Israel asked them, why did you bring this trouble on me by telling the man you had another brother? And they replied, well, he questioned us closely about who we were in our family. Is your father still living, he asked. Do you have another brother? We simply answered his questions. How were we to know, he would say, bring your brother down here? And of course, Joseph did this intentionally because he wanted to know about the family. He wanted to know, you know, how's dad? How's my, how's Benjamin? How's that? And he, he couldn't let him know who he was. So he grilled these guys to find out this, all this information. Well, then Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy along with me and we will go at once so that we and you and our children may live and not die. I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him if I do not bring him back to you and set him bef- uh, here before you. I will bear the blame before you all my life. Well, a lot more reasonable than here. You can kill my kids, your own grandsons. Um, uh, as the other brother, uh, Reuben, had said. As it is, if we had not delayed, we could have gone and returned twice by now. So this has had to be a while that they, you know, this went on. Then their father, Israel, said to them, If it must be, then do this. Put some of the best products of the land in your bags and take them down to the man as a gift. A little balm, a little honey, some spices, some myrrh, some pistachio nuts and almonds. Uh, all very valuable things. And uh, take double the amount of the silver with you this time. For you must return the silver that was put back in the mouths of your sacks. Perhaps it was a mistake. Take your brother also and go back to the man at once. And may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man so that he will let your other brother and Benjamin come back with you. As for me, I am bereaved. I am bereaved. I mean, this guy was so, so unhappy. Poor 
Isaac or poor uh, Jacob, Israel. So anyway, the guys took the gifts and doubled the amount of silver this time, and Benjamin also, and they hurried down to Egypt to present themselves to Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Take these men to my house, slaughter an animal, and prepare dinner. They are to eat with me at noon. Well, the man did as Joseph told him and took the men to Joseph's house. Now, the men were frightened when they were taken to his house. They thought, we were brought here because of the silver that was put in our sacks for the first time. He wants to attack us and overpower us and seize us as slaves and take our donkeys. I mean, they are fearful. Here they're here. He's going to give them a personal meal, but they're scared to death. This can't be good. This can't be good. So they went up to Joseph's steward and spoke to him at the entrance of the house. Please, sir, they said, we came down here the first time to buy food. But at the place where we stopped for our night, we opened our sacks and each of us found his silver, the exact weight in the mouth of the sack. So we have brought it back with us. And we also brought additional silver with us to buy food. We don't know who put our silver in our sacks. It's all right, the guy told him. Don't be afraid. Your God, the God of your father, has given you treasure in your sacks. I received your silver. Then he brought Simeon out to meet him. Simeon probably coming out saying, Where have you been, you jerks? Oh, man, I know I would. Holy stinking cow, they're supposed to go come right back. But they wait until they eat all the food and get in the same tough situation before they even come back for poor Simeon. He's stuck that whole stinking time. So anyway, he brings out Simeon. The steward took the men into Joseph's house, gave them water to wash their feet, and provided fodder for their donkeys. They prepared their gifts for Joseph's arrival at noon because they had heard that they were to eat there. When Joseph came home, they presented to him the gifts they had brought into the house. And they bowed down before him to the ground. Again, the vision Joseph had seen. The dreams of his brothers and also his father and mother bowing down. Or not his mother, because his mother was gone, but uh, bowing down uh, before them. And he asked them how they were, and they said, uh, then, and then he said, how is your aged father you told me about? Is he still living? Uh, of course, I'm sure they were confused. Why does he ask all these questions? But Joseph wanted to know, you know, his dad's still alive. They replied, your servant, our father, is still alive and well. And they bowed low to pay him honor, just kept bowing low again, the fulfillment of the, the vision, the dream. As they look about and saw, as he looked about and saw his brother Benjamin, his own mother's son, he asked, "Is your youngest brother the one you told me about? Uh, uh, oh, is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about?" And he said, "God be gracious to you, my son." Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep, and he went into his private room and wept there. He is so emotionally touched, and he is so happy to see these guys. By the way. Oh, by the way, I mean, I, you know, I've talked about this. I just preached about this recently in the church uh, on Sunday about this. The culture of offense that we have today where people get offended and they take those offenses and they nurse those offenses and they remind everybody of their offense and look at my little offense. Look what he did to me. Look what he said to me. Da, da. Instead of being men of faith, women of faith and going, hey, 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 get rid of that baby. You're not supposed to hold on to that. Someone hurt you, okay, we get it, let it go. Let it go. I mean, you talk about a guy who had a reason to be seriously ticked off at his brothers. It was Joseph. He went through 13 years of hell. And I'm telling you right now, there's some of you right now listening that if you went through that, you would never 
forgive the people who took you through that. And if when all of a sudden if you did come out on the other side like Joseph, you still wouldn't forgive them. Now Joseph was smart enough to realize that this was God that had used all of this to bring uh, to pass the dreams that he had had. And uh, he was very quickly willing to let go the offense of his brothers. Man, if we could just get this. And this is before Jesus came. Goodness gracious, how we can call on the name of Jesus and pray, Father, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who hurt us and then turn and refuse to forgive those who hurt us. Oh, my goodness. Man, I could just preach on that for another hour. But man, people, don't hold on to stuff. So, Pastor, that guy hurt me. Or, Pastor, you hurt me. Or, okay, great, fine. Let's move on. Quit holding on to offenses. Man, if you can't get this, I'm telling you, if you cannot get this, I fear for your eternal soul. And I mean that as sincerely as I possibly can. Jesus said this after he taught the Lord's Prayer. If you read it, he goes on to explain what he just said. And he said some radical things. He called God Father. They weren't used to doing that. They didn't call God Father. They, oh, the most holy, omnipotent God of Israel. I mean, they were afraid of God. He called God Father. He said, give us this day our daily bread that God will meet your daily needs. That you can experience heaven on earth. Here as it is in heaven. I mean, there were radical things that Jesus talked about in that simple, amazing prayer. But Jesus knew that he had said something that just freaked them out. And it wasn't any of those things. It was that one phrase, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Because Jesus goes on immediately to say, for if you do not forgive those who sin against you, my heavenly father will not forgive you. Do you know what happens to you? If you don't have your sins forgiven. Do you have a clue? Do you realize. The implication of what Jesus was saying there. He's implying man a one way ticket to hell. You get a situation where God does not forgive you of your sins. Man you are doomed. How people of faith. How Christians can hold on to their offenses. And remember all the stuff that was done evilly to them I don't care if it's the pastor I don't care if it's the pope I don't care if it's whoever in the world you look up to for crying out loud or if it's just some nitwit brother in your family let it go you have to let it go goodness gracious people we've got to keep short accounts I do not want to have anything against anybody see pastors anybody hurt you yeah who is it I can't remember can I really remember? Sure I can. But I'm not saying, I ain't got nothing. I got nothing to say about it. Let it go. We have to let it go. We have to forgive those who sin against us. By the way, people will sin against you. People will hurt you. At times people you trust dearly will hurt you. Sometimes people you look up to, even guys like me, will hurt you. There's a wonderful promise for you. Come to Celebration Church. I'll eventually offend you at some point. I mean, come on. The reality is somebody somewhere is going to hurt you. What is your response? Let it go. 
Forgive us our sins, Father, as I willfully forgive those who hurt me. I, I hold nothing against anyone. I hold nothing against anyone. But you don't hear that today. Look what this guy did to me. Look what that guy did to me. And you did this to me. And you, I remember, you know, a year or two ago when you said that mean thing to me. Man, you need to let it go. Here's Joseph. He's, he doesn't even know the Lord's Prayer. He's never experienced the grace that we find in Jesus Christ. He's living by faith. This is before the Messiah even comes. He didn't, barely can even understand what's coming. And he gets it. He's so happy to see his brothers, he can hardly stand it. When he sees Benjamin, he has to go run and cry. Because of his love and his concern for his family. He's so glad to see them. He doesn't want them to know who he is yet. He's yeah, but everybody's treating him kind of harsh here. Yeah, but it was all part of the story here of trying to get dad to come. And He's not bitter at these guys. And we'll see it as, as we go along here. Anyway, uh, after he had wept his eyes out in verse 31, then he went and washed his face. And he came out controlling himself, said, serve the food. And they said, it must have been kind of weird. This Joseph guy, whoever he is, of course, they don't know his name's Joseph, whatever they call it, whatever his Egyptian name was, I don't remember. Uh, you know, would come along and all of a sudden he'd just take off. And then he'd come back again and just, you know, what is it with this guy? Because he kept taking off because he's crying. So anyway, they served the food and they served him by himself, uh, the brothers by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with them by themselves. Uh, so check it out. Joseph is eating here. The brothers are eating here. The other Egyptians are eating here. They wouldn't sit at the same table. Why? Because Egyptians could not eat with Hebrews. For that is detestable to Egyptians. Whoa, we're talking some serious racism, baby. Okay? And this is the first sign that we see of this. This is how they eventually turned them all into slaves. They didn't think much higher of these guys than chickens and squirrels. I mean, you talk about racism against Jews, or racism against blacks, or racism to whoever, you know. Um, that's how these Egyptians viewed these Jews. The, it was a detestable thing. You couldn't sit and eat with these filthy Jews. I mean, that, that, was, that was, talk about anti-Semitism, man. That goes back a long way. And that's how they viewed this. Again, part of the environment they walked into when they came to Egypt, and eventually they were all turned into slaves and were there, by the way, as slaves for 400 years. You think 13 years is a long time to wait. You think 40 years is a long time to wait. Imagine waiting 400 years before God answers the prayer and gets you out of bondage. Ho Chi Mama, that's a long time, Jack. Anyway, the men had uh, been seated before him in, in the order of their ages from the firstborn to the youngest. And they looked at each other in astonishment. When portions were served to them from Joseph's table, Benjamin's portion was five times as many as anyone else's. <laughs> so Joseph was showing all this favor to Benjamin, who was his literal brother. The other ones were all half-brothers. And so they feasted and drank freely with him. Now, when we come back next Wednesday, and for those of you who come to this campus, I'll actually be back uh, live with you next Wednesday, but the rest of you are used to this anyway. But uh, we will pick it up at chapter 44, and we're going to see what happens um, when Joseph finally, in uh, chapter 45, reveals himself and, and see the reaction that they had when they finally discovered who this guy was. 
and how all of this had happened. It's amazing. I'm, I'm telling you, you know, I'll give you a little clue here. God, I mean, um, uh, Joseph basically says to him, you know, I know you guys ripped me off, but God had his hand in this. This is how God brought me here today. You talk about unforgiving. I mean, I mean, uh, not holding some, by, but by being forgiving, a willingness to not hold a grudge. Oh my goodness. You know, he, he, again, he could have hated these guys till the day he died, but he did not. And he, he was being harsh to them only to jerk the slack out of his brothers and force uh, everybody to show up before he revealed uh, who he was. Again, thereby fulfilling the very dreams that he had, that they would all come down and bow before him. Amazing, amazing stories here. Again, all of this to show us how they all wound up in Egypt. We're almost done, by the way, with the book of Genesis. We've kind of really cruised to this thing. I mean, there's just a few chapters left. Uh, and then Exodus. Um, I was going to go j- straight from Genesis back into the New Testament. I'm kind of half tempted to jump into Exodus right away uh, because of the tie-in to all of this. We'll, we'll see. I'm, I'll, I'll kind of run that around in my head. Uh, if we do... Uh, there'll be a lot of it we'll skip because you know that's where we get it, start the beginnings of the law of Moses and all these technicalities maybe we'll go in just long enough to find the, get the basic story of it and we're certainly not going to do Leviticus and all this other stuff you talk about holy moly you have a hard time sleeping tonight go read Leviticus that'll put you right to sleep uh, pretty tough stuff there but uh, anyway so we're almost done with this uh, and when we get this all wrapped up then we'll jump back into the New Testament and uh Maybe give a stab at the Gospels or something. But anyway, we're we're having a lot of fun as we continue to study uh, the Bible on a Wednesday night. So God bless all of you guys and see you again next Wednesday. Wow, that was worth the wait, I think. And uh, wow, we checked it out back there. It was just a a minor thing and they fixed it. It was awesome. So praise God. We, we were talking in, in our in our uh, staff meeting today a little bit about um, our our giving um, in in our church and um, not so much the amounts or anything like that we don't we don't go there but just about the need to some sometimes teach sometimes that's all right I guarantee you it's a guitar player. <laughs> Because I, I am one. <laughs> no? Okay. That's all right. The, the pastor's away, the mice will play, you know. So here we are tonight together. No, we're, we're talking about this. And so we, we want to read some scripture and, and just, in fact, Phil, Phil had a great idea about teaching around this every so often. And we just want to read a familiar scripture to many of you. But some of you are new in the body and, and you might need this. Our ushers are coming. Um, and let me just read this as they come. The, in Malachi, the prophet says this, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. This is how God's purpose was, were to be accomplished among his people. He just set it up this way. And he says, there, there may be food in my house. And then he says, Test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. And, you know, what I, what I hear in this is that when we take care of the purposes of God, He takes care of the things He wants to do, to do in our life. Provision. Purpose and provision go together. How many have experienced that already in your life, in your Christian life? Amen? It's really true. You can trust Him. 
he's not lying to you about this kind of thing. This really works. And uh, but but let me read one more verse because this is awesome. He says, "And I will prevent." Now this is an agricultural society. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. I like that. Purposes lead to provision, and provision is prevention as well in our lives. You want to not be bugged, all right, in your life? Are you with me? Um, we take care of the purposes of God. And so that's that's why we give. We take care of, of, of what he wants to accomplish. And when the kingdom of God begins to reign in a region, things begin to, you know, we can vote all day. But when it, the day is done, it's really what God can change. Amen. And, uh, and we are a part of that and privileged to be a part of that. Let's have a word of prayer. Thank the Lord for his word tonight. We appreciate you, Lord, what you're doing among us. You are helping us get our head around some things that, that will transform this region to bow before the King of Kings. And at the end of the day, you will receive the glory. We appreciate that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's worship as we give to him tonight. God bless you.